What do you know about albino redwoods? Um, they're trees and they're white. Okay. Um, I was going to say stilettos, but you know all about those. I do know all about stilettos. Yes. Um, let's see here. Phantom time hypothesis. Wouldn't it be great if I could just rattle that off off the top of my Oh, it'd be amazing. And you would be on a different podcast. I would. <laughs> which is what we are talking about. Our friends over at Drunkard's Walk. Yes. Uh, they have just started season two. We're seven, eight episodes into it. And um, they're doing the Lord's work. Uh, drinking and moving from page to page on Wikipedia. And learning all about things that I, I think we all should know more about. Yeah, I feel that's like the perfect education, like the perfect combination to educate oneself. Yeah, like a postmodern jukebox. And you mentioned, I think last week, Lithuanian book smugglers. Yes. Which is, which is not a euphemism. But it, but it's going to be. We're going to it should be. One. Yeah, exactly. So you can find Drunkard's Walk, and we recommend you look for Drunkard's Walk, where any of your fine podcasts are downloaded. If you take a Drunkard's Walk. Mm, that's true. That's a good idea. Drink along with Jack right? and Matt. And, you know, probably by the end of the episode, you'll be lying down. That's okay. With I don't full of, no. full of you, No longer with a thirst for knowledge or booze because you've learned and right. drank. And oh, you could then just go sleep the sleep of the innocent, which frankly, we all need about now. Mm-hmm. So look for Drunkard's Walk wherever you get your podcasts. Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience. But it would be an interesting, just a game to play. Did this happen in 1925 or last month? Right. And it would be a lot of... Um, a toss-up? Oh, my God. It'd be like uh, rampant forest fires. I don't know. Um, right. Taxes. I, I don't know. I There's don't so know. many things where you're just like, it could be any time. Well, yeah. So what better time to try to sit down and distract yourself by playing a game where you get to make up your own rules of politics, much like the real politicians. Right. Come up with your own platform and see if you can't convince people to, uh, as Lenny Kravitz would have put it, go your way. Don't don't talk like Lenny's dead. Lenny's alive and well and looking incredibly good (laughs) on the cover of (laughs) Men's Health this week. So as Lenny said right well how did i, I or, said, I, or as said, Lindsay buckingham said hmm, he's never going back again go your own way oh he won't stop thinking about tomorrow look you'll never break the chain you are secondhand news you make love and fun no that's christine mcphee right <laughs> secondhand news secondhand all, news all the way This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Can you imagine if Fleetwood Mac, the original band of Fleetwood Mac, I mean, yeah. original as far as when Stevie and Lindsay joined. No right. offense to anyone prior, but... Yeah, that's not original, but keep going. Right. I know, I'm just clarifying that I know that <laughs> it's you. not original. Thank, Thank you. you. What if they all got in a room and played this game? Wow. You know, mm-hmm. my money would probably be on Mick because he's the wild card in that. You have right. no idea what's going through that guy's head. 
I don't know. John McVie could be a dark horse, though, too. Mm. Well, he's kind of the dark horse in the band, is he not? Yes. I feel like Kristen McVie is going to be your just sort of, I don't want to say slow. You're sort of, you're constant. You're just so consummate politician. She's the one that you know should actually win because she's right. the one that's like the steady Eddie. Mm-hmm. You know she will do a great job. Level-headed. Level-headed. But not But can't she compete with the show of Stevie spinning around in scarves? Right. I mean, scarves is a platform. That's that's a very big platform. Witchy spells. Spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right there you got the witch and the Aerosmith contingent. That vote locked up. Right. Sex, drug, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. A little gold yeah. dust. Right. If the guys in Led Zeppelin were American, you would have their vote, but... Well, yeah. You know. I don't know how the Eagles would vote, though. Not sure mm-hmm. how definitely would. Oh, I, frankly, I don't want to ask, you know? Yeah. He's the guy yeah. you get stuck into a, in a corner near the bathroom at a party for like 45 minutes. And you're like, Don, I just, I need to go get something else to drink. I know, but think of what a great speech the lyrics to Leather and Lace would be. Oof. I, yeah. Okay. Right? With your sleepy eyes. Could you ever love a man like me? Right. But right next to you, you're going to have, but then you're going to have. But then you're going to have this guy being like, once you check in, you can never leave. And you're like, Don, this is just a party. Let's just, can we just, can we be, Don, can't we just be two people? But there's pink champagne on ice and mirrors on the ceiling. Uh, Yes. I just wish Don would come to his senses. You know what I'm saying? He has a nasty reputation as a cruel dude. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I just... He's been out there, you know, I don't know. I, you know, how I feel about the Eagles. I know. Rest in peace, my fellow Detroiter, Glenn Fry. Look, heat is on. Go with God on that one, you know? Yes. yes a- it is. Any argument, my money would be on Fry, you know, 10 times out of 10. Right. But, you know, he never had a voice this summer, so <sighs> I'm not going to hold that against him. Oh, I, all summer long, I slick my hair back and put my wayfarers on just because for some reason, that moment in that song, I, I want to be that girl. Right. I don't what even love the end of the Right. Yeah. I just love that moment. Um, mm. eh, I don't know if I want, I don't know. It's kind of a downer. A little bit. Um, <laughs> just a little. I mean, I don't know. The top rolled down. It's more my speed. I don't know. If you want sort of mid-tempo 80s dad rock, give me Bruce Hornsby any day of the week. Well, that's just the way it is. Welcome to The Love Pod, a dating and relationship podcast. Hosted by a few reality TV nerds. Filters and clothing are optional. Content is mostly inappropriate for your kids. Unless you don't mind explaining to your children about why mommy and daddy share a bed with Aunt Karen, in which case we're totally appropriate. I'm Brian. I'm Shauna. And I'm Dina. Check us out every Tuesday on all major podcasting apps while we offer the least qualified dating advice. We also talk to your favorite reality TV stars about their love lives. What are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button now. What is the secret to a good duck call? Oh, man. Duck calls are, uh, obviously, you're not reinventing the wheel every time 
you go into the shop or into the CAD drawing. It's a lot to do with the actual engineering of the call. So it's put together kind of like a house and an architect would work on, on the drawings and the blueprints. We go into a software called CAD Pro and we have very, very precise measurements and constrictions and tolerances throughout that call and the different pieces in a duck call, the ones that we manufacture we have the barrel, we have the insert, we have the tone board, we have the mylar reed, and we have the sound trough, and then we have the stopper. So all of those different parts are being machined in CNC machines and lathes and mills. Um, we do all of our own, like I said, all of our own designs and all of our own programming. My partner, Chris, who I started jargon with in January of 2019, he's a master machinist. So he's responsible for coming up with all of, I, I could come up with a call idea and then a general shape. And I've done that quite a few times, but he's the one that goes in and kind of nerds out on it and puts it together, puts it into the software program, cuts the pieces. And then it's all about, you know, trial and error. We might find a, we might find something that's not exactly right. So we might have to angle down our tone board a little bit. We might have to sand off a little bit. We make them all out of hand, hand turned acrylic. So we bring in acrylic rods that are raw and they're about 60 inches long and we get however many pieces out of that rod to put together of our different calls so the secret to a good call is having somebody that knows his or her way around a machine and somebody that can get those tolerance so perfected that there's no room for air in them to when every piece comes out of the machine it's it's just kind of like a a, a cut and paste now you put them together with the reed you tune them you, you hit them one time and then you wipe them off with an alcohol pad you put them in the engraver you engrave them you paint them you put them in the bag you put them in the box and you send them to either a direct consumer online or to one of our several dealers across the country. The difference is, is that there's a lot of in the garage DIY duck call makers, just like there are decoy makers or cabinet makers or gardeners or whatever there are across our country. And that's what's beautiful about it. You can go in your garage on a wood lathe and turn your own duck call and go out and have a, a, an enjoyable hunt with it or turn it into a collector's item. But to have a national brand, you have to go out and be able to attract the audience and have the, the marketing initiatives to, to – uh, really get the people's attention and then you have to prove it with a quality product so there's a lot of secrets that go in with the success of a duck call brand and i think we're hitting on all those cylinders i'm comedian david race in los angeles i host a celebrity filled paranormal talk show like no other monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions you won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Wow, that is so much. I just thought it was a little piece of wood that kind of made a rude noise. No, the, the noise I, is rude. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did not realize it was that detailed. I mean, it, with a good call, with the type of calls uh, that you guys are producing, is this something that I'm going to say any idiot, but would I be able to open the box, take this thing out and use it properly? Or is that right. even a skill? Is it like an instrument? 
Yeah, if you you hit it right on the head right there. You hit the nail on the head. I had a podcast earlier today where we couldn't get that saying right. But, uh, you know, when, when, when you look at somebody like Louis Armstrong that blows a trumpet, he's using a lot of his cheeks and a lot of his mouth. When you listen to somebody like Freddie Mercury or Axl Rose sing a song, they're using their stomach. Same with a clarinet or a saxophone or in, any wood-driven instrument. Um, Kenny G, if you watch him play, he's really constricted in his throat. He's really constricted in his midsection and and his core and he's using the diaphragm in his stomach so if you can discipline yourself to create hot pressurized air if you can picture a mouth around your diaphragm in your stomach and every time you bite down with that mouth you're constricting that pump at that diaphragm and so you get that hot constricted air if you were going to clean off your sunglasses or fog up your mom and dad's window when we were kids in the winter time (laughs) and that's how a duck talks an elk bugles a coyote howls that you know they so when you're putting that pressurized air into the call it would sound like and that's the same way that you present your air into a clarinet and that's the same way that if unless you're a shower singer if you've ever heard anybody take singing lessons they're singing from their stomach and their diaphragm and using that pressurized air to deliver the tone wow Now I suddenly, my mother's an opera singer and my brother-in-law, oh, oh, stop it. (laughs) My brother-in-law is an avid hunter and like in 20 years, they felt they've had nothing in common. And in two seconds, you literally just brought my family together. Yeah. If you brought, if you brought, you know, if you brought Michael, uh, Luciano Pavarotti or, or some of the great opera singers of our time and you put them on stage and you look at them they're all kind of heavier set people to where you picture them not being able to have air control and 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 that's quite the the mistake that we make is that their air control and their air pressure and their lung capacity and their diaphragm control is like kind of like box breathing or fox breathing or any of the kind of different breathing message in in today's fitness world Um, a lot of nasal breathing and when I blow a duck call or a short reed goose call, I that it becomes a beak. So when you listen to um, Pavarotti or one of the opera singers, they can go on forever and hold those notes because they have such great air control. Well, I can take a breath where I go. And then if you wanted me to blow as many notes on a duck call as I can, I could go mah, 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 and then run out of air. But the, the the trick is just like singing is when you're when you hear somebody like Axel sing Sweet Child of Mine, where is he taking his breaths to keep? continuing the consistency right. and the flow of that song right and navigating his way through that song it's same with duck calling so i'll just go and right there i took a breath but you guys couldn't tell and now my lungs are 100 full of air and ready to keep transitioning from this hen mallard that we're emulating the girl duck when we duck call the boy duck the, the boy mallard makes a completely different grunt whistle sound like a bzzz the hen mallard the lady she's the one attracting the boys to her and trying to like tell everybody like hey either come and join me or stay away from me this is my food i'm not turned on by you it's not mating season stay away from me i'm not ready for it so she's always and then this hen over here will hear and she'll answer and go and then this hen over here will be more nasally and go and it's like a high school locker room or gym class or or lot you know and they're just a bunch of just chatter going on a bunch of drama going on and so you try to create that picture 
and, and be an artist, when you're trying to paint that picture to the ducks in the air, you have ripples on the water through different ways of moving your decoys. We muddy up the water. We muddy up the sediments underneath it because ducks are always kicking up sediments. We try to hide well. We keep our dogs hidden. We try to get the sun at our back and the wind at our back to try to decoy them in because waterfowl, ducks, and geese are always going to set up into the wind to land. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into it, but the vocalizations and the vocabulary and the jargon I named the call, the call company jargon. I trademarked that com- that name years ago when I was playing college baseball. Um, I just love the name of it. And it's a specialized vocabulary amongst a group of people. So opera singers, scientists, surgeons, pilots, T- or not TSA, but air traffic control. If you've ever been in the cockpit of a private plane and had the headphones on and listened to people talk to air traffic control, we never know a thing they're saying. But it's right. jargon, right? So we're speaking jargon to three different levels of people in our world. We get the hunting camp. And us three would be sitting around a fire and I'd be telling you guys, hey, we're doing this. We're hunting the timber tomorrow. We're going to be in the Mitchell hole. Then once we get in there, I'll be like, hey, shake the decoys, get ready, get down, cover up. So there's jargon between us. Then we have our dog with us and I'm speaking a completely different jargon to my dog. Get ready, steady, watch, where's your mark? And then all that. And then when we see the ducks, now I grab my call, my my whistle or my apparatus. And now that becomes my beak. And I'm speaking a completely third different jargon to the wild animal to try to lure them in, entice them in and put them in the pot for dinner. So that's kind of how I, how I picture my hunts when I go out in the field. Yeah. See, when I picture our hunt, I would be complaining that I'm cold and Heidi would just be talking very loudly, but right. But you know, would, we all hunt differently. But maybe I'd sound like a female duck. That's true. Yeah. Female duck, exactly. So maybe I would, I would be a benefit. Yeah, you could, you could sound yeah. like it. Uh, there's a lot of different sounds that ducks make. I mean, you could be a completely different species than we're talking about, Heidi, and yeah. you, you could nail it. There's a place for me there. You have your call built. You've it's come off the assembly line. You've done all of the. It's basically at a point where it can be opened up by a consumer and used. How do you test it? How do you make sure it sounds perfect? Do you get that breed or, you know, I guess breed of duck and sit right next to them, blow it and wait for their head to turn? How do you kind of go, this one works, this sounds like this duck? I'm assuming there's a lot of road testing. Yeah, there's been a lot of trailblazers and pioneers before myself or Chris. We've learned a lot and we're very humbled to be in the space and see our company, you know, grow the way it has. But there's so many great call makers before us from the fifties until now, rich and tone in Stuttgart, Arkansas is the king of all duck call makers, Fred Zink. Um, there's so many great echo duck calls by Rick Dunn in Arkansas. There's so many great ones. So obviously there is a prototype out there, right? That's been proven. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go into it and try to um, reinvent the wheel. Like I started this conversation with, and here's why duck hunters are very traditional you can't go into an arkansas uh, duck camp which is the king of duck hunting areas that's the motherland that's the that's the holy gospel the holy grail of of uh duck hunting right it's the duck capital mm-hmm. of the world stuttgart arkansas you're not going to go in there and say hey i just came up with this new idea and have like this big <laughs> foghorn deal and, oh they can hear it in three counties over they're not going to buy it okay so that we have, guys we, listen to this yeah guys <laughs> right. listen to this it's, it's it's almost like those guys that you grow up with or hang out with that they hear a singer when the and then they think they discovered them they're like man if, right, you know I just, no, no you didn't that that dude's <laughs> been playing clubs in baton rouge for years i remember people telling me they discovered eric church way before he was big and i'm like no i mean you didn't discover eric church but so we didn't discover anything new 
we're very humbled by it. But what we did is Chris is, has had these designs in his head because he's a machinist and he understands that the traditional way of, of building a duck call could have been done better. And that's what we did. We made it to where it's more user-friendly. It's more realistic with tone and pitch and volume and control. And we made it to where it's easier to clean and easier to tune. If it does come out of tune, if you break a reed in a saxophone, it's easy to slide it back in there, tighten your screws and go to work on it. Unless you put the reed in upside down, you don't know what you're doing. So our yeah. call has been made pretty much quote unquote dummy proof. And what, when you when you practice with it before you let it go to the end consumer yes one of our biggest thing is going into wild and listening to live birds we we obviously own a production company and we have all of the top of the line audio capture systems and cameras so we're constantly placing microphones in strategic spots where we know ducks are going to congregate and we're and we're going to get that live audio we take that microphone and that 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 audio file out of there we put it into our system and our server and we sit down there and we dissect it like whoa did you hear that sound so one we're making sure that our calls can withhold that and two we're actually learning new sounds like taking an esl or a foreign language class we're sitting there learning like there's more out there than meets the eye on the actual vocabulary and jargon of a wild duck and we do that with all animals turkeys elk um coyotes we can howl coyotes and vocalize with with wolves and, and bring them into five feet you know and to get them really tight and to communicate with them so our whole our whole brand or whole beginning of our brands was built on being patient and learning how to let animals hunt you up by learning their language and making them feel confident and comfortable that you're the real thing. So lots of people grow up loving hunting in, into their adulthood. I mean, it's a, a passion for so many people I know and, and love. What was it about you and about your love of it that gave you the drive and the inspiration to truly build a life and an, and an empire for lack of a better word, doing what you love. I, uh, I loved baseball and I thought I was going to be a, a major leaguer, but I sucked. So that didn't happen. And, um, I, grew up chucker hunting which is a partridge bird out west in the rim rocks and mule deer hunting and antelope hunting big game with my dad and my brothers duck hunting's not real prevalent out here in the high desert we have some but it's nothing like being in the midwest or the south or the mississippi flyway i went on a duck hunt when i was 26 years old um just starting my what you would call an entrepreneurial career and i got addicted to it i saw these guys these gadwall ducks or gray ducks they call them they flew over us going the other way and these guys jim and john got on this call went mah, 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 and they spun and i went oh my gosh so i got addicted and then i i i started being type a personality had to collect every bo jackson baseball card every george brett baseball card had to have it all all the posters had, couldn't just settle for one had to have a museum of them and uh drove mom and dad nuts every baseball card show there was i had to go so that's how it started in duck hunting is like I started calling professionals and one of the professionals I started calling was Phil Robertson, who later became the star of duck dynasty. Who's a good friend of mine and his sons, Jason, Willie and every Jep are all friends of ours. Um, I started blowing my call for him and learning. Then I would, I would call a guy named Tim grounds in Johnson city, Illinois, and he would teach me the short read goose call. So I started to become enamored with, waterfowl hunting and at the t at that time i started to grow into what would be considered the portable toilet or the construction site service company and we started building some brands out here in street sweeping environmental protection control stormwater pollution and portable toilets 
and that that we we were busy in the summer and it gave me a time in the fall and winter to go hunting and i just i started competing in duck and goose calling contests and one thing led to the next and i uh, my guess my personality started to get out there and i was invited to be like a guest host or a guest on dvd series and national tv shows with ducks unlimited ducks unlimited water dogs zinc calls and it all happened uh in in 19, in 2006 I was on a West Coast swing with Ducks Unlimited and one of the producers of that show called me a month later and asked me if I'd be interested in making a show around my personality and lifestyle. And I said, heck yeah. And um, one thing led to another. His mom gets ill. They put her in the Mayo Clinic. He tells me he can't do it because of time and finances. I ask him permission. I say, do you mind if I keep doing this and, and go down this road and try it? And that day I leaned back in my chair in my toilet office and I had this big duck mount in there. It's a pedestal. You're laughing because it's a toilet office, which right. I guess in reality, yeah. that's an office for most guys. But um, <laughs> so it's a pedestal mount and it's got these nine mallard ducks coming through trees and it's called the, 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 uh, the, the, the tag on it or the plaque says strike up the band. And I looked at it and said, I'm going to try to name a company Banded. So I started working with my my intellectual property attorney in Vegas. And I said, can you try to get with the USPTNO and get me this? And we got it, which I still can't believe to this day. So yeah. Banded, Banded was born. Banded Productions was born. We started The Foul Life. We went to air on national TV, started gaining all these critics and all these ratings and all these sponsors. And then that turned in really quick. I was getting hammered with emails. Um what call are you blowing? What shirt are you wearing? What boat are you in? What UTV are you in? So I'm like, the money's not in TV. The money's in product that you use TV as the marketing arm for. So my brain started working like we need to start. We got into the clothing. At that time, UFC was just gaining momentum. And Tap Out was the big company that used to, that was really famous until, you know, Mask ended up passing away. But Tap Out, Mask and Skyscraper and Punk Ass had that TV show on on a, a big network and they would travel around the country into independent gyms and meet fighters and at welcome on the bus and make them part of the, the tap out family and finance their fighting career. So I was like, well, if we could get a reality show like that, where we're hunting and showing our duck calls and our clothing and all this stuff, then we can market it to the million, you know, the whoever, whoever will watch it. And that's how it was born. I started there and then that turned into a duck call company. And then into, I, I met, you know, my friends, Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard had these ideas for waiters and all these, uh, hunting accessories and apparel for men and women and that's and then in 2011 we seek capital and that's when we really took banded to the next level and you say what is it like to be a pro hunter i hate the, the word pro hunter or make your living in hunting is is better the way you put it and it's more like uh so humbling and got to pinch yourself every day that that we have revenue being built on our passion but we've always stayed grounded and rooted and i think that's very important in entrepreneurial spirit of america is that we're not going to cut corners just to make a dollar we have a ton of compassion for the animals that we pursue and a ton of respect for the resource that we maintain so we're not going to go out and say hey buy these waiters and then have it be to where you know we're not ethical about the animals we pursue the animals are habitat are first and foremost we work with farmers and conservation agencies and we try to uh, bring the entire effect of sustainability full circle 360 degrees to say hey we live off the land here's our garden Here's how we grill a duck. Here's how we cook a deer steak. Here's how we match it with the Jack Daniels whiskey or, or some wine or whatever it is. And we try to be, well, our new company that we just launched is called The Provider. And we got a line of cookbooks coming out and dry rubs and barbecue utensils and accessories. And so we want people to know that 
if you're against hunting or you're anti, at least learn why we do it, who we are, and how much compassion that we have for these animals, and how much sweat equity and elbow grease and financial sustainability hunters are putting into animals. We're the ultimate conservationists. Without hunters, there's no elk on the mountain. There's no turkeys in Texas. There's no geese in the Atlantic Flyway on the Chesapeake Bay. And I mean that. It's hunters' initiatives that have brought them back. Yes, we do take a few out of the ecosystem every year, but through our efforts, we have built flyways that are full of ducks and mountains that are full of elk and deer and antelope and because of rocky mountain elk foundation national wild turkey safari club international safari club international is so instrumental in what i do and what our companies do and what hunters as a whole do so i know that's long-winded but to make a living in it i didn't want it to be about the almighty dollar i wanted it to be about the animal first the habitat conservation and 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 why we hunt and what our dads and our in our forefathers before us did to allow us to hunt and hopefully we can do the same so generations behind us can do you know enjoy this lifestyle and the culture of the american hunter makes total sense it's so interesting that you, you used the word passion earlier on to describe this. And as you were talking, I was just thinking even before then, like, this is all coming from such a, a pure place of, of passion and love. And, you know, you get the impression that you could not have been as successful as you have been without that passion and that drive. And I've got to assume that your happy place is, is out, out hunting, is out using your calls and, and being out there. Do you have a favorite uh, duck to hunt or, or to call? Yeah. I, I mean, I love mallards and I love Canada geese, but I also, when you said that about being in your happy place, the therapy that the duck blind provides um, is amazing. The, the Turkey woods, the deer stand, deer camp, duck camp. I've had so many soldiers back from theater that are wounded, that are handicapped, that are still active duty special ops, whether they're Delta force or whether they're uh, Navy seal team six, I've experienced duck hunts with them or Turkey camps with them to where they literally are so thankful. They literally sit there and thank me up and down. Thank you. I can't believe you're doing this for us. And I look at them and go, you're thanking me. So that's like how humbling this lifestyle is, is that I, my, I grew up worshiping the military for what they do for and, and teaching, being taught how to v- really value them. And now I get to give back to them. And I always ask them, do you look down on somebody like me that didn't serve and didn't go protect our freedoms? And they go, no, look what you're doing for us. Now we're just cut from a different cloth. This is what we were put on earth to do. And you're doing what you're supposed to do. So my favorite hunts are that last year I got to work with St. Jude's and the Ronald McDonald house and take a kid that's 12 years old that was diagnosed at seven years old with a massive tumor, 33 rounds of chemo, nine rounds of radiation, had st- or had the, the radar things in his head like Frankenstein to receive the radiation, lost 100% of his motor skills, five years cancer-free at 12 years old. Grant and his sister Alyssa and his mom and dad joined us in Oklahoma. They live in Louisiana. And I took him on a three-day duck hunt. And I watched this kid sing songs, sing karaoke, eat powdered donuts that he could barely get the donut in his mouth because his motor skills, he could barely stand up. But with the help of his dad and me and helping him, he was able to see dogs and sunrises and sunsets and ducks and eat meals and hear laughter and the therapy that it provided for not just Grant, but the joy it brought his sister, Alyssa, his dad cried every day of the hunt. His mom did a podcast with me about the diagnosis and what it meant for them to be there and what St. Jude's and Ronald McDonald house did with our brands to bring it full circle. So now we have a relationship with the biggest 
children's research hospital in the country in cancer for in all every disease. And then the Ronald McDonald house, that is an amazing charity. The story of Ronald McDonald house would blow people's mind if they dissected it and really did a forensic audit on it. And now I get to sit there and go, Hey, this isn't about me. This isn't about how good of a duck caller I am or, or what duck I'm hunting. It's about the therapy that these soldiers and they're giving it to me. They're making me go, man, I am so humbled and, and, and blessed to have this privilege because hunting is a privilege. It's not an entitlement and it's not a right. It's not written into our declaration or our constitution that we have the right to hunt. We do have the right to bear arms for our second amendment, but hunting can be taken away at any time. So that's why I say I want to be a good ambassador. Look what it does for the military. Look what it does for a kid diagnosed. This is the heart of a hunter giving back, and this is why we hunt. So if you're going to be anti, at least know that this stuff's going on, um, you know, with everything that we've talked about today. And so that's my that's my favorite part about a duck hunt is being able to see the look on somebody's face, whether it's a cancer survivor a sick kid, military, or somebody new. I've taken so many new kids, men and women, on their first hunt. And fifty. we have about a 48% retention rate that they get hooked and they buy a hunting license again the next year. So it's all about it's all about mentorship and giving people an opportunity to at least experience it. And then they can say, that's for me or it's not for me. But at least when they go to vote, they're going to have an idea of what it is, what a gun is. Don't be scared of a gun. Be safe with the gun. Respect the gun and all of that. And that's what our brands do and what I feel, you know, what our responsibility is daily well it's interesting you know i I think you're right i think it is you know people tend to lump you know guns all together and obviously it's all very different things and the and the thing that i think is really interesting that i learned later is what you're talking about that whole almost meditative side you know of just like being one with nature and being in the woods and i think a lot of people for don't understand that and people don't understand the conservation side. So I get what you're saying with everything you're doing is amazing, but people have to learn and they have to understand the depth and breadth of it. That's all I ask before you go to the ballot or before you go to vote, just know that, that hunting is, it's not going anywhere, but I don't take that for granted. And I I just want people to know what's going on when you're in the Turkey woods and you hear mother nature come alive and the earth wake up. Um, it's, you can get the same out of maybe going on a morning jog, but your heart rate's too high to really understand what's going on. You could get it on a golf course, but you're pissed off because you missed too many shots. So hunting is so balanced because there's no competition. You can, can be competitive with yourself to hone your skills better, but I'm not trying to win a trophy. I'm not trying to, to win the biggest deer of the year, the most ducks of the year. I am out there for the sole reason that I'm supposed to be a part of it. And just this tiny little human being sitting in a huge tree or amongst these huge trees in Arkansas that have been there for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. That's what I think about is like how many men have stood here before me and saw this, these skies filled with ducks, the crops full of rice, the restaurants booming, the hotels booming because hunters are coming in here by the truckloads and tourism is going up. Canada, the borders are closed. These prairie towns in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Alberta, these towns thrive on the American hunter from September through April, from waterfowl season to bear season to deer season, back to spring bear season. The border shut. We can't go. These towns are dying now. These outfitters are calling me going, what can we do? So I'm, I'm not saying it's a pity party. I'm simply saying that hunting is so important in so many different realms of life. Conservation being the biggest 
And then there's a ton of tourism and a ton of revenue. There's, if you look at the amount of revenue by hunters and fishers every year, it's in the hundreds of billions. It's a lot of money that, that yeah. is spent. And it's something to take serious if it's taken away that there's a lot of, a lot of things being bred on hunting and the, the, what we've talked about today, if it's done right, you can thrive on it, but we have to make sure that we put that animal in that habitat first. And now with, 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 with whatever's going on with the pandemic and politics and the, in the government and all that, you don't talk about that. I understand. I don't talk about that very often, but there's a lot of people that are going to be affected of it that cannot enjoy the hunting that they're used to. And I think that's going to teach us a lot of lessons as hunters of like, look, I've been going to Canada since 2000 and now I don't get to go. And now it makes me feel so lucky that we have that, that hopefully when the borders open up, we have even more of the ultimate respect and, and, and passion for what we get and hum and humility through it. Right. Because it's been taken away from us. Can you imagine if it was taken away for good? There's countries in this world that aren't allowed to even see a gun, look at an animal or go hunt it and put it on their plate to eat. Right. We can't go to Africa right now. South Africa, Tanzania, all of those countries over there in the on the continent of Africa depend on American and world hunters to come in and hunt to provide food for the tribes and tourism dollars for the for for these countries. And it's a you know when it's taken away, people are looking at it like, man, we can't we can't allow that. We can't ever let this happen for good. So there's a lot of good and a lot of um, reasoning that's going to come out of the pandemic. I don't know how I got off. It's about that Canadian outfitter and Canadian towns that they're going to suffer for the right. next 12 months because the revenue is not going to be there. And as you're saying all this, I just want to start singing Circle of Life. Um, yeah, you, totally. You, yeah. Rick D's Disco Duck. Rick D's would you how would you rate that that sound that he's got going there? On his on the radio show uh, on the record, the Disco Duck single. I don't think I've ever heard it. Oh, uh, well, you're missing out. Hold um, on, hold on, hold on. I, I know, was like, I was just thinking, you know, Rick D's. Yeah, yeah, Rick D's the uh, DJ it, to the stars. D E E S. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and it's called Disco Duck. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, you know, given your expertise, what you what you made of Mr. D's work. Well, I think uh, I think. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried had a pretty good sounding duck on the Aflac commercials. Okay, sure. Yeah. I think that his humor is kind of, kind of, kind of weird, but it's a, it's a good word for it. Yeah. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. He's yeah, kind of that comedian that always yeah. has to go too soon. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I can't find, I can't find it. Oh, well. Uh, Luke, you don't have queued up. I, I should have. I don't, I don't have my, the 45 with me unfortunately this is this is this is what our calls sound like you ready i'm gonna play you one ready oh please yes listen listen so it's kind of and you're doing all that through pressurized air and there was um, like a second sound in there it almost sounded like a second well, a good bird. duck call, a good duck caller is going to be able to manipulate the sounds just like, I, I guess, anything in life. But if you think of a ventriloquist, a duck caller is going to be able to take that without taking the call away from his or her mouth. He's going to be able to use the fatty tissues of the palm of his hand, his tongue, the fatty tissues of his cheeks and his mouth cavity and his pierced lips and your larynx, which is that muscle in your throat that you get that hot steamy air to clean off your the sunglasses. And you're using all of that in conjunction with your tongue to be able to get different size air cavities. So the roof of your mouth is shaped like this. 
your tongue is the same shape now with a, a bubble gum ball underneath it. The tip of your tongue is anchored down behind your bottom teeth where your gum line meets your teeth in the back. And then you kind of press your tongue forward. So that air comes up over the tongue and down the tongue. And that's why you don't want to have puffed cheeks because then it's going to go around and it's going to get a real hollow, unducky sound. So it goes over the tongue, down the tongue, into the pierced lips, through the pierced lips, into the call, hits that reed on top of that tone board. The reed's made out of mylar and it's bouncing like this. And that pressurized air is what Chris is doing. All he's doing when he's blowing that call, my partner, he's he's got his hand like this. He's going and opening your hand opening two fingers turning your wrist locking your wrist in you're going to get a bunch of different tones and pitches that sound like different ducks and the ducks in the air are thinking that's got to be real because all of those different ducks are talking down there i see multiple ducks because you got six seven dozen decoys on the water now they're all talking and you're you're making an entire conversation with different pitches and and tones and that's what that's where the realism and authenticity comes in and your success rate goes way up that's that's crazy. I mean, I just, my first thought was like, it's got to be like the, is it Nepalese in uh, Tuva, the throat singing where they're able to create multiple notes at the same time. Um, something with the larynx, I believe. I, I grew up an asthmatic. I've been on, I've been on Ventolin or an inhaler pretty much my whole life. So when I, my lung wow. capacity, I would, I would blow your mind. My mom's a nurse practitioner and she'll put me through a breathing test and I will blow. I, I like, I go to a cardiologist. I lost my dad to a massive heart attack in 2006 at the age of 54. So I'm really anal wow. about, but it, I mean, yeah. genetics or whatever, but I'm, I'm really anal. About, I'll go do breathing tests with my cardiologist, stress tests. I'll get in front of my mom and they'll be like, you've got to be kidding me with how strong your lungs are. And I owe it all to what we're talking about right now. Cause I've trained my lungs to where I can, you know, keep them full and keep, you know, a lot of air pressure. And then when I train or work out, we work with bodybuilding.com and men's health and a bunch of, uh, um, muscle and fitness and we're doing a lot of this new thing that we're starting we haven't I'm, I'm also working on an ebook that comes out in two weeks it's on it's called tailgate training and yes. it's about how how to work out and keep your routine when you're away from your trainer or your hometown gym so we're using coolers and camera cases and tailgates and t you know tr trx's that are are tied off we got rubber bands and we're trying to say hey we have no excuse not to treat our bodies the best we might drink a beer we might have a couple jack daniels we might eat some biscuits and gravy when we're in arkansas but we're we're still going to keep that mentality of trying to you know counterbalance that with a workout and getting our you know intervals going with our heart rate so we're working on an ebook and my lung pressure and for working out and my breathing techniques have helped me be able to recover faster keep my heart rate in that 170 and bring it down to 130 when i need to like a boxer gets one minute after exerting himself i'm trying to be better at recovering and you it's amazing how much better you feel as a duck hunter when you're hunting every day of the year, it's a 120 day season. You know, we start early and we go all the way through February. We start September and go all the way through February. I want to be in the best shape of my life. And I got a mentor who took over kind of as my dad. He turns 80 in February. His name's Les Nesbitt. And he works out with me three days a week. And he would blow your mind if you saw him hit a heavy bag or stretch or do a leg press. And I want to be like that. And hopefully I do when I'm 80. So I know that that's kind of preachy, but I think that people, I think that people think you got to be a deer hunter or a sheep hunter or a mountain expedition hiker to be in shape. And I want to try to be in the best shape that I can 
not like David Hasselhoff, Baywatch shape, maybe, maybe. Oh, but, what I would give. I know what I would <laughs> but, but I, wanna, I, want, I wanna feel good. I want my ligaments and tendons and joints. I don't wanna pull a muscle when I'm running in a bad cornfield and spraining an ankle when I'm carrying 60 pounds of dead weight, carrying dead geese back to the blind to get ready for the next flock. I wanna be in shape and get down, get my breathing under control, put my call to my mouth and sound as real as I can. But if I'm huffing and puffing, I wouldn't be able to do that. So all of that is it's, there's so much that goes into it. And I always tell people there's a blank canvas in front of you and you're your own artist. You might not be Vincent Van Gogh. You might not be Bev Doolittle. You might not be the best artist in the world, but what are you going to do with all of your colors and your paints when you start throwing them at that blank canvas? For more information on Chad, you can check out his website, which is thefowllife.com. That's F-O-W-L. They're also on Twitter at TV, And they're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash TV. You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Because if you don't, we'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more. Why the Podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Schnett. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthomagnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?